Shot up nicely. He's standing for taking it on. Walker! Long range now for Staniforth to take. She'll be looking to lift this over the two-player wall. And Birmingham City have taken the lead. A lovely free kick found the head of the Birmingham City captain. Jordan finds Arthur. Arthur goes for a shot from distance. Oh, and it has to just be tipped over. Back to Staniforth, who strikes it with her left boot. And that's goal number two. It's a lovely finish into the top corner. Guided in by Lucy Whip. Just gently lofted out of the reach of the keeper. Might be another chance for another goal. Cracking save by Hampton. Welcome back to the Great Sense 68 podcast, the only dedicated weekly women's football show about all things Birmingham City. I'm Craig Hadley and I'm joined this week by Chris Pugh. How are you, Chris? Yeah, not too bad, thank you, Craig. Still going, considering the circumstances. Absolutely. As far as I know, I'm doing okay at the moment, but uh, yeah. maybe next week I won't be. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on anyway. And we'll begin this week's show with the news, of course, that all matches have been put on hold due to the coronavirus until April at the earliest. I don't want to dwell too much on this, Chris, as I'm sure the listeners are sick of hearing about it as much as I am. But it's certainly thrown a spanner in the works of the football season. It has, yeah. And it's the right thing to do. It's it's the only thing that, that football could do to... To stop the spread of the virus and, and and help people's health as much as possible, which is which is the main thing. But yeah, obviously with the season so close to its climax, from a Blues women perspective as well, with Marta leaving her post and a bit of positivity back at the club, it would have been nice to get some games underway. But obviously this break now, enforced break, has come into play, and and we have to we have to wait and bide our time. Yeah, absolutely. Health is, as you say, most important. All I'm going to say is to everyone, stay safe. Don't take any unnecessary risks and wash your hands regularly. I think it's important for shows like ours to continue through this enforced football hiatus. There are plenty of people scared to leave their homes and need entertainment to keep them sane through this difficult time. On to the next bit of news that has happened since we last got together. As Chris briefly mentioned there, Birmingham City have announced that the club have agreed to part ways with manager Marta Tejador. When I first heard the news, I couldn't quite believe it. Not because it was the wrong decision, but I honestly didn't think the club had the bottle to do it. What about you, Chris? Couldn't have said it better myself. Definitely the right decision, as we've discussed on, on the previous podcast. It was the only decision that could really be made. Yet, when the news broke, I was the same as you. I was still couldn't quite believe that they actually that they actually had gone and uh, and got rid of her. The correct decision has been made, in my opinion. And when we do get round to playing football again, I'm hoping and I'm sure that that the players as well as the supporters will will have a new lease of life and uh, a new hope going into the to the end of the season. The writing had been on the wall ever since that 1-0 defeat to Bristol City and it seems enough was enough for everyone involved. Uh, We wish Marta the best in whatever she decides to do next and look forward to the next era of Birmingham City. Charlie Baxter will take charge of the first team until further notice and I believe he is someone who is well-liked, Chris. You spoke to a former Blues player and she's given him the seal of approval, so to speak. Yeah, I spoke to a couple of people, but one of them, a former Blues player who who knew Charlie from the coaching setup and was very complimentary about about Charlie and I think the fact that Charlie understands the club and he understands the supporters and 
I was very impressed with his with his interview that came out. Sometimes it's it, it does seem quite easy to say the right things at times, but you've still got to go out and do it. And I thought he spoke really well in his interview. He spoke about the what the supporters demanded and and how he understands what the supporters want from from the club and and that he's he's still got a good group of players. So there are definitely positive signs with Charlie taking the reins hopefully doing a good job for us until the end of the season and, and then let's see what happens from there yeah absolutely I, I i sense there is a feeling of optimism now with the club more so than we were when we were under Marta in the last few uh, weeks of her reign and this unforced break so to speak has probably come at a decent time because it gives the club more time to think about long-term appointment as manager obviously it's not ideal for anyone involved but Hopefully, this gives the club the chance to make the right decision with the time they got to take, Chris. You can certainly look at it that way. That the club have got a, you know, a, a real window now in which they can they can take their time and and assess possible candidates. I think it would have been nice for the players to get straight into it, to have Charlie come in and and the spirits lifted, and then get straight into playing a, a an FA Cup quarter final. But obviously, that's not to be. That's not the case. You know, the girls have got some downtime now, where where they can they can focus on other things, take their mind off off football for a bit, which which you know might be refreshing as well. Health is the main thing, and and football comes second to people's lives and livelihoods. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see if the so-called new manager bounce um, lasts as long as the uh, when the season does restart eventually. Mm. But uh, we'll we'll soon see, of course. Let's move on to the Pinatar Cup now. For those unaware, this was an international competition that took place in Spain while the Spanish side were away at the She Believes Cup. Scotland, Northern Ireland, Ukraine and Iceland were all involved. Unfortunately, Blues midfielder Chloe Arthur was forced to pull out due to injury, but Abby Grant was fit and raring to go. First up for Scotland was Ukraine, and it was a convincing 3-0 win for the Scots with Martha Thomas and Claire Elmsley on the score sheet. Abby Grant picked up an assist in that one, but things were about to get much better for her. Grant scored the winner against Iceland in Scotland's next game, and then repeated the feat three days later and scored the winner against Northern Ireland. We are all big fans of what Abby brings to Birmingham City, and it just goes to show what a bit of confidence can do, Chris. Yeah, she seems to be that sort of player that if she gets one, confidence is up and she feels like she can she can do it again and again. And I saw the the goal against uh, Northern Ireland, and it was a, a real instinctive poacher's finish. You know, the ball dropping in the in the penalty box, and and she was she was the first one on it. She she made sure that she was going to be the first one on the end of that ball. So um, it's really good to see for Abby. Obviously, you know, we from from her point of view, she, she'd love to be in in that Scotland squad regularly in the first team regularly obviously there's there's a lot of competition for places Emsley and and Cuthbert and people like that but you know if she keeps scoring goals she keeps contributing to the team then then she'll she'll keep getting the attention of of the manager and and keep earning that place which which is great for her yeah absolutely and she's certainly impressing Shelley Kerr with the performances she's putting in Scotland won three matches out of three to lift the first ever Pinatar Cup, and it puts them in a confident mood heading into their next European Championship qualifiers. As you briefly mentioned, Chris, there's a lot of great players in the Scottish team. Is this a golden generation for Scotland? Yes. You know, obviously with the World Cup, first ever World Cup recently, I think they, I feel as though I think if you were one of those Scotland players, I think you'd be a little bit disappointed at how that World Cup turned out, that obviously the 
the disappointment of the way they went out with that VAR penalty decision in their last group game. But fair play to them because they've become a side with good players to a, a really good side with, with with very good players in quite a lot of areas now, actually, over the last five years. And, and they're certainly a team to be reckoned with. We'll, we'll discuss this in a minute when we when we discuss England. But I've seen a lot of people make comment about how how people have caught up with England, but it just shows how how easy it is when it, when a side like Scotland can, o- over the course of the last five years, basically be Kim Little plus Jen Beattie when she's fit, plus nine other players, to then have have nine or ten seriously quality individuals who who play week in week out at the highest level. So teams are getting better, and and teams like Scotland are not going to be the whipping girls of of European qualification anymore. They want to be here to stay, obviously, and they're going to cause teams problems. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over the last few years, you've got players in the Scotland squad who've become household names, mainly playing in the WSL. Mm. People like Emma Mitchell, who's Arsenal slash Tottenham Hotspur, if you depending on if you look at her loan mm. spell. Lucy Graham, who rose came, came out of nowhere, really, at Bristol City, that now she's yeah. at Everton. You've got Caroline Weir, of course, at Man City. She's a fantastic player. You've got Erin Cuthbert, as you mentioned, Claire Emsley, who's now in Orlando, and Lisa Evans at Arsenal, Abby granted us, Jane Ross, who's been around for a long time now, and Martha Thomas, who's yeah. only played two caps for the Scottish team, and she's always scored two goals. So it just goes to show that Scotland are really on the rise, as you say. Let's move on now to the She Belize Cup. And England were looking to retain the cup that they won in 2019, but would have to do it without Lucy Bronze, who had to pull out of the squad prior to the tournament. First up for England was at their tough test, as they faced off against the US in Florida. Goals from Kristen Press and Carly Lloyd gave the hosts the win. This game uncovered those all-too-familiar defensive frailties in this England side, Chris. Why can't Phil Neville teach them how to defend properly? Not not just Phil Neville, when we, we've had this discussion as before as well, that there's about 70, 80 backroom staff in that group. You know, they've got a, a member of staff designated to every area of professional football, yet for 18 to 24 months now, we just, we look so shaky in defence. It's It shouldn't be inexplicable, it should be something that an, an international side of the, of the calibre of England can can identify and work out pretty easily but it's it's not working it's not working and for so many for so many games now we seem to be coming away going or oh, we you know we we really look like we can concede it every set piece every every ball in the box causes us problems every ball over the top causes us problems it's mind blowing that, that it's been allowed to go on for that long yeah it's certainly an issue that continues to raise its head and i thought i thought this game, considering it was less than a year since we played the US in the World Cup, it just showed how far we are off them now. Because I don't think, apart from maybe Lauren Hemp, everyone else didn't have a good game at all. And although Lauren Hemp had Kelly O'Hara in her back pocket, which was interesting to see, considering how England performed overall, we just didn't look anywhere near the level of these US players who aren't even in season at the moment. They're, they're players who haven't even who've been off without football for a very long time. It's it's weird, Chris, that we were so far off when we were mid-season. Yeah, I think um, a, a lot of the talk from the England camp has been how USA at the top, but but we're going to be the ones to hunt them down. We're the lead, the leader of the chasing pack, if you like, and 
maybe that rubbed the USA up the wrong way and think back to the Alex Morgan celebration at the World Cup, which which rubbed salt into the wounds a little bit as well. And I don't know whether the USA have thought, OK, if these guys think that think that they're the best of the rest, then we'll, we'll, we'll show them, we'll, we'll see how close they really are. And I think ultimately... Even in the even in the World Cup semi final, I think if if we would have scored again, USA had another couple of gears to get out of, and they they certainly had another couple of gears to get out of in the She Believes Cup recently against us. And I think we're a million miles away in terms of concerted effort at that at that top spot in the world at that number one ranking and toppling the USA. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. The shot count for this game from the US just shows how dominated they were of the of, of England. 23 shots to 8 for England, which is a massacre really, even though only 6 of them were on target. England's second game saw them face off against Japan in New Jersey. They were two sides looking to play a possession-based style of football without the composure to do so. Both sides frequently gave the ball away, with perhaps Japan doing better keeping it, but without really testing goalkeeper Ellie Roebuck. Ellen White scored a late winner in a game that England probably didn't deserve to win. What did you think, Chris? I only saw bits of this game, but it felt like a very similar Japan game where they're very good on the ball and they like to keep the ball. But that that final pass, that bit of penetration against um, against a strong side, just wasn't wasn't there. And obviously, you know, the, like you say, the winning goal from from Ellen, and uh, and that's what. That's what she can do. You, you keep giving her chances. She probably wasn't as, as clinical as she would have liked across the whole tournament, but you keep giving her chances. She's going to put one away eventually. And obviously the, the goal coming from Japan, a, a Japanese mistake at the back and letting themselves down again. But a, a very typical Japanese performance, I thought. And, and England holding on in there and, and getting the win with, with, with Ellen scoring the winner, yeah. Last up for England was Spain, a team that have entertained almost everyone watching the She Believes Cup, apart from the maybe the diehard USA fans. Mm. England looked all right in the first half, but something changed in the second half. Spain made a few changes, and then they suddenly burst into life. England couldn't handle them, and Alexia Putellas uh, took full advantage to win it late on. I was watching this game, Chris, and after the first half, I generally thought someone had replaced the entire Spanish side with doppelgangers. They didn't look anything like the side that pushed America to the limits just four days prior. What did you think? So this was actually on at the same time as, um, I think it was Liverpool, Atletico Madrid in the Men's Champions League. So unfortunately, I, I didn't catch the first half, which by all accounts was, was a big mistake on my half because then all I saw was complete Spanish dominance in the second half. We just mentioned about how Scotland have improved in the last five years. These teams are improving in the last, you know, over the course of two or three years, a team can really improve. And and this is the thing about about Phil Neville. He's been there two years now. Two years is such a long time in football. Teams will improve. Teams will get better. You know, really promising players become really great players at, at international level. And if you're standing still in the international football, which we have over the last two years, teams will keep coming and, and, and they'll creep up on you. And then all of a sudden, you're not as good as Spain's first 11. Our first 11 is no longer as good as Spain's first 11. And that's what happens when you stand still, when, when you don't rectify mistakes that keep being made, when you stick with a, a bizarre philosophy that has never, ever worked in the two years, this this desire to 
keep possession better than anybody else and build from the back, which hasn't worked against any major nation in two years. I thought Spain were absolutely terrific in, in that second half. They showed a confidence, similar to Japan, really. Spain have always, you've always looked at Spain and thought, excellent technical players, which, you know, which isn't a surprise because that's the, that's the model, that's the philosophy that Spain have worked with through men's side, underage groups and women's team for the last 10, 15 years. And lo and behold, it, it actually works now. But they've, they've got that clinical edge now. They're starting to find a formula that is breaking good teams down in the final third of the pitch. Top-class players playing in top-class leagues now. And they really are a force. They're a force to be reckoned with. And they showed us up for the classic defensive uh, set-piece routine, which is just a ball in the box and, and somebody loses their marker. It's as simple as that again. And based on the second half performance, we certainly didn't deserve anything from the game. I know a lot of people said that the first half was was pretty good from England. But, you know, you need to maintain it over 90 minutes against good sides. Yeah, absolutely. And... Looking at the, the final game, Lauren Hemp um, didn't get to play in this game due to mm. an injury. And I thought she had a good tournament for England. Ellie Roebuck also looked right at home. It's funny that the likes of those players, the newer players, looked most at home in this squad than the ones who've been there for ages. I, I think there's a vibrancy to that as well. Freshness that you've almost got nothing to lose. Lauren Hemp comes in and if, if, if Lauren Hemp honestly looked at herself and looked at the way Nikita Paris has played for England over the last year, then I think she's got every right to say, if I if I put in a, a decent shift here, I've got every right to be on this pitch. And I think there's an element of that to it. They are fearless, but they they also realise that if they come in and, and really show their worth, that there's a, you know, there are starting spots available. Obviously, the, the, the 2021 Euros, which, which was going to be 2021, it, it may still be, it may not. These young players also are thinking there's, there's one, possibly two years away. They're only one or two years away from a home European Championships here. And, and it really does give someone the incentive to, you know, you, you come in and, and really make your mark like Lauren Hemp did. Then there's, there's big opportunities for you in the next couple of years. But I thought Hemp was, was really good, like you say, especially in the USA game. She, you know, she showed a, a real lack of fear against against the best side in the world and things like that are the positives to take from it but there are also lots of things that still need to change yeah I think even from the days she was at Bristol City you could see Lauren Hemp was a special player Mm. and not only has she stepped up to women's super league level she's also stepped up to international level in these last few matches and it shows that there is quality there and if they're given the chance they'll take it England finished the competition in third and have won just three times in their last 10 games I don't think the results are necessarily the biggest problem. It's a problem, no doubt, but the lack of direction right now is more concerning to me. Phil Neville has told us that his style is non-negotiable, but what is that exactly? Do you, <laughs> do you, have, any, do you have any idea what they're trying what to a, play, Chris? What a terrific question that is. What is This style is non-negotiable, but what is your style? Yeah, It's the million-dollar question, yeah. I give Phil, Phil Neville enough credit that I believe that he thinks that there is a style and that there is something that, you know, a, a philosophy and a base to work from. But we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it in two years. And every time we have seen us attempt this possession-based football, like I say, we've we've been shown up for for a lack of ability to keep the ball and for many 
many, many years now, three or four years since the 2015 World Cup, even before that, we've been the you know, the players we've got available just scream out that we're with a perfect counter-attack inside. But that's not the way he wants to play. He, he wants to be this, uh, I don't know, Pep Guardiola-esque figure in women's football that has come in and, and shown everybody up by creating a, a, a legacy. But it hasn't worked and it's not working. And it's working even less, like you say, three wins in 10. It's that combination as well that, you know, obviously performances are are really important in games that don't matter. The Sheep Leaves Cup isn't isn't the be all and end all. If if you play three games and don't win any but show signs of improvement, then at least you're getting somewhere, but we're not even doing that. And when the results don't come and the performances aren't there, there's big questions to be asked, definitely. I think the She Believes Cup is a bit like the League Cup in the men's game. If you win it, it's it's a big competition. But if yeah. you if you don't if you don't, it's it, it means nothing and Yeah. I, I feel like Phil missed an opportunity to play more young players in this tournament. He's, he brought along a lot of them, but he didn't really play them, even in that game yeah. which didn't really matter against Spain. Uh, we've been told by many journalists in the last week or so that Phil Neville isn't going anywhere, but yeah. everyone has their breaking point, and the FA surely must be concerned about what they're seeing from England. As uh, Sophie Lawson, friend of the show, put, there's only so many times that Ellen White can bail out Phil Neville as Scrappy-Doo is bailed out by Scooby-Doo in the cartoons. And um, with the Olympics in doubts now, with everything going on, does that actually put Neville's position in greater threat, Chris? He almost feels a little very similar to, um, to the situation with Blues and Marta. It feels like there's only one natural conclusion to this, and, and that's for Neville to go. But you just can't see it happening. Now, Blues surprised us. I can't see the FA surprising us. I think he's got a contract until the end of the Euros. Is that right? I think so. End, end, end of 2021, is it? Now, if the Euros is moved to 2022, that gives an interesting parallel because they'll have to renew his contract for the Euros then. Do they think that a home Euros, you'll need a name like Phil Neville to garner the interest in it? Possibly. So that, that might that might keep him there as well, but Look, from a footballing point of view, you can beat around the bush as long as you want. You can analyse and sub-analyse and, and criticise. And ultimately, the, the results and the performances are, are what keep managers in the job, especially at an international level with a side like England, whose resources are beyond belief compared to some other teams in, in the women's game. And it isn't good enough and he hasn't been good enough. Similar to Blues, the the only viable option for me to improve this England setup is for him to go. But I can't see him going. Definitely a situation which will continue to go ongoing for the near future at least. Yeah. We'll finish on this, Chris. On the Sunday supplement this week, uh, Martin Samuel, a renowned journalist, was on to talk about Phil Neville. He said, the problem isn't Phil Neville. We aren't a good technical side. That's what had to change. And it's really hard to change that. He was talking about pass completion and how England are so off the pace of other teams. But I was just looking at the stats from the She Believes Cup while you were talking, Chris, and England have pretty much got the same pass completion as all three teams that they played during the competition, which means basically Martin Samuel's talking a bit of um, nonsense. But do, do you think, Chris, he, he's, he's obviously someone who's renowned in the men's game, but maybe doesn't cover that much women's football. And he's obviously just looked at the stats and uh, stats can show you something, but it's not always reflective of what you see on the pitch. Yeah. 
there's definitely an element of I'll put my two penny worth in, even though I don't really know what I'm talking about. I did actually see the clip. He mentioned good technical players like Lucy Bronze. Now, Lucy Bronze is a very good technical player. I don't want her improving improving the pass completion percentage at right back because who's she passing it to? Our pass completion percentage is okay at the moment because we seem to be that side that like to keep the ball at the back and, and nobody nobody cares whether Millie Bright or Abby McManus or Steph Orton have got the ball inside our own half because we're not going to damage them. They let our back four have the ball, which is why which is why our pass percentage completion is quite high because there's there's a lot of passes between the back four. It wasn't high in 2015. He was right in that. There's a reason for that. Mark Sampson decided that we weren't good enough to keep the ball, so we stick it down the channels. Eight times out of ten, we'll lose that ball. Two times out of ten, we get it and we're in. And and that's the way Mark Sampson wanted us to play. It was... It was a sacrifice that he made. We, we sacrificed our pass completion. We sacrificed our possession. And we ended up finishing third. Whether whether people like that style of football or not, we finished third and, and we haven't got closer to a, to a, to a win since in a, in a big tournament. So in terms of technical players, if you had a midfield of Kira Walsh and Jordan Nobbs and you've got players like Lauren Hemp coming through, Beth England, Ellen White, you know, I think there's. I think it's it's incorrect to say that we haven't got the technical players to be able to keep the ball. I think we definitely have Leah Williamson as well. Throw into that, who by the way I thought was was excellent in in a central midfield role in the She Believes Cup. But he's stuck by this philosophy and possession based football style, and and we're not very good at it. So that's that's down to him ultimately. And so whilst I whilst I agree with you that that Martin Samuel's comments were a little bit a little bit out of out of touch and out of context, it's easy to look at stats at times and and make your own mind up, which I think he's done. But I'd I'd still say for me that the best style for England is is as a counter attacking side, and for that you don't need a lot of the ball. That's all for this week's show. Thank you for all listening. Keep right on, and we'll see you next time. And that was the Great Sense 68 podcast. To listen to future shows or listen back to our previous ones, go to iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you may use. And search for Great Sense 68 and subscribe today. Thanks for listening, and remember, keep right on.